lady. Do the kid a favor. Don't scream. <laughs> hey, get out of here. Hey, let's beat it, man. I don't like it up here. What, are you scared of heights? I don't know. After what happened to Johnny Gobbs. Hey, look, man. Johnny Gobbs got ripped and took a walk off a roof, all right? No big loss. No, man. That ain't what I heard at all. I heard the bat got him. The bat? Oh, man. Give me a break, will you? Five stories straight down. There wasn't no blood in the body. No shit. It was all over the pavement. I'm getting out of here, man. Hey, shut up, man. Listen to me. There ain't no death. Yeah, well, you shouldn't have turned the gun on that kid, man. You shouldn't have turned the hey, gun on that kid. Do what you cut of this money or not. Now shut up. Shut up. Feature joygasm moment of the week. Steve, what'd you think about that? Goosebumps, Russ, goosebumps. You know, I showed that to our uh, Japanese exchange students back in the day, and I said, you guys got to watch this movie. And I, I said, specifically, the beginning of the movie. And they had not seen it. And they had not seen it. And this was back in the early 2000s. Right. Okay. Like, 04, 05. And so I showed them the clip. Mm. And they were laughing. They're they, laughing. They, they, they thought it was funny, and I thought, no, 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 they're gonna think this is cool. Like, no, 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 you're, you're not getting it. This is this is this is cool. This is good. This, I, I like this. And they they thought it was funny, and they were laughing, and they couldn't take it seriously. And I thought, okay, no, fun's over. But I liked it, Russ. Oh, it's such a classic scene from the Tim Burton Batman film. Of course, that was like the very first appearance that we see of Batman, and uh, it. Th- there are so many things that I like about it. I I would say, love about it honestly i think like is not good enough but um but no i i think that there's a lot there i think the editing style was just you know if you think about it the action itself there really wasn't a whole lot of action going on really the editing was doing the the heavy lifting of, of making all the 
the moments seem quick and intense and that sort of thing. But really, it's a lot of just kind of those those quick shots like that. Another thing that I can really appreciate is the lighting, the cinematography in that. If you noticed, and this was kind of a, a popular thing during the late 80s, early 90s, there were a lot of, of hair lights or rim lights, you know, a lot, a lot of the, the harsh lighting that, that kind of popped them out from the background. I always really liked how they lit all the scenes in that particular film. I thought that um, it lends itself really nicely in terms of a, like the film noir genre. I don't know how many of those you've seen, like the, the, the old school film noir, like black and white, but um, that was one of the things that Michael Uslan talked about back at SDCC. He, of course, he was the executive producer on this film. And he talked about how one of the pillars that he wanted to see from this film was to have it feel like a classic black and white film noir movie brought into almost a, a modern day for its time in the 80s. Um, but it was like this fusion of like 1930s and 1980s kind of like just meshed together like that. Do you think they were successful in, in blending those together? Yeah, I do believe they were successful. I, I could definitely see it as a black and white film. Mm -hmm. like it would totally work. Did I tell you about how there was someone, I don't know who it is, and I need to find it. I cannot find it. There is a person who actually created a movie trailer in the style of the movies from like the 40s, maybe even the 50s. Hmm. But it had that kind of, you know, the big text that like wipes on screen. Right. Oh, look yeah. out for the Batman. <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. Right. What was crazy was that all they did was they added text they did change Batman's voice a little bit, but they kept everybody else's the same. And they, <laughs> Hi, Batman. Yeah, exactly. Well, they, they gave him more of a transatlantic accent. So it's kind of like, ah, see, I'm Batman, that kind of thing. But really, um, one of the neatest things they did was they changed it back to black and white. They, I mean, the footage is all exactly the same from the film. But um, by doing so, it really proved out that particular creative pillar that Michael Uzen was going for, where when you see it and you're like, oh my goodness, this really does have that 1930s, 1940s film noir kind of look to it, which I don't know, it's, it's super cool. And he, by the way, wants to find out who did that because he would love to talk to that person right. just as a fan. Well, if anybody hadn't seen the movie, so that I'll just walk you through what yeah, happened yeah. because all the, the the sound effects and whatnot. So basically, um, this couple's walking through Gotham. They walk through a back alley, the wrong back alley, and they get mugged uh, by gunpoint. And uh, they take some jewelry in the guy's wallet and they run off. You see the thugs up on some rooftop somewhere. They're going through the wallet and the purse, and like you know, they see the credit card and whatnot. And uh, and that's when they begin to their discourse of you know you know we gotta go I don't feel comfortable up here and in the distance you see Batman start to kind of fall or or I don't know not really fall that's the, completely the wrong word but um almost kind of repel repel thank you yeah repel down in a cinematic fashion in the shadows and uh, you hear the little the, lots of steam the, the rocks kind of crumple underneath his footsteps so that you know, he wasn't he going to let him know that he was there anyway, but uh, he gets the surprise on him, kicks a guy, you know, he falls through a wooden doorway and probably down some stairs, grabs the other dude um, via uh, battering, via battering and uh, holds him over the ledge and uh, did some PR. Yes. Right. Uh, Built some PR. awareness. Right. So um, <laughs> I really liked the, the personality difference between the two hoodlums. I liked, I don't know, it, it was such a, a short scene when you think of, of the film in its entirety. 
but I felt like that was like the perfect way to kick things off. And you know, the hoodlum, like one of the hoodlums was definitely superstitious, was definitely paranoid and neurotic and was looking around and had kind of a guilty conscience about what was going on. You shouldn't have pulled a gun like kid, man. You should have pulled a gun like kid. And then the other one was a bit more, uh, yeah, had a bit more bravado to him. It was a bit more confident and was devoid of any kind of guiltiness of sensation or whatever. But it was just cool to like see those two interact with each other for a while because oftentimes a lot of these little like, I don't know, criminals or, or little minions, if you will, they don't really get any screen time to be fleshed out as characters. And in this particular instance, they went from being just like a one dimensional throwaway minion to all of a sudden, wow, like we're starting to kind of get to know these characters just for a bit. Right. And then of course, Batman comes in. Did you notice that there was a flash when the guy um, burst through the, the wall there or the door? I guess so, but it's kind of subliminal in a way. Like I, 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 I thought I blinked, but it seemed like as as quick as a blink. I am curious. So there, there was definitely a flash at that point in time. I think there was a couple other flashes too during the fight sequence. I'm wondering if those flashes were intentionally placed in there as kind of a homage to the 1960s Adam West TV show. You know, like whenever there was like a punch or a kick, of course theirs was like. Boop, bam, and it had pow sock, you know, that kind of thing. But it, it was accompanied with kind of a, a graphic of like a flash graphic. I need to look that up. I should have looked that up before we recorded this, but I'm I'm wondering if that was intentional because of that TV show itself. But I, of course, and you, we have seen that movie countless times and it is probably one of our favorite I would say top five films to quote. Probably time to see it again. Actually, it's probably time to upgrade because I only have the DVD. I know it's on Blu-ray. I don't know if they're going to make it for 4K. Hmm. Just and, and I don't even know how they would do that. I mean, maybe there's a technique where they can take older films like that and I don't know if they're able to scan the 35 millimeter film into something digital and then try and up-res. I, I have no idea. Hmm. Well, you are listening to Joygasm, a video game and movie podcast. I'm Russ, Xbox Live Toaster 360. He is Steve, Xbox Live Steveovich, and we're thrilled to have you join us in episode 138 today, September 5th, 2019. We've got quite a few things that we're going to be going over with you today. Gaming news focuses on Cyberpunk 2077 developments and Mixer Streamer Ninja getting yet another major deal. Movie news includes the Joker movie critic reviews, Disney Plus news, and the Bad Boys for Life movie trailer. And technology news features the latest Lego product from their Star Wars line that is positively massive. And I always like Lego. I'm a huge Lego fan. It's amazing to be able to tap back into Lego. I Uh, remember... I'll say it later, Russ. I'll say it later. No, I'll say it now. I started. Go ahead. Now you you, you baited me. When you bought an X-Wing and I had flown out to see you. I Yes. And we we spent like the afternoon putting this thing together. And then at at this, I was leaving, I think that night. The X-Wing? Yeah, I think we. No, no, no. You're thinking of the B-Wing. Is it a, was it a B-Wing? Yeah, because I put the, I, I, I did get the X-Wing, but um, my wife and I put that one together. But then I bought the B-Wing when I was with you. Okay. 
one of the uh, we stopped, and, we, and we didn't have time to finish it. Yeah, we spent like a de- the afternoon doing it, and yeah. then I had to fly out that night, and then uh, you had to put it, like the rest of it together with somebody else, probably a cousin or two. Actually, I did. I uh, got together with Brent, right, and we we completed it, and unfortunately, um, it d- broke. <sighs> right. Yeah, it got left over at my uncle's place, and uh, somehow, some way. Uh, Oops. Yeah, I'm not. It. Uh, yeah, I'm. I don't even know if I have all the pieces. I did get the box back, and I, I'm. I'll have to take a look and see. But yeah, that was a bit of a bummer. Anyway, our topic of the day is our Dallas Symphony Empire Strikes Back experience, which you can fast forward to if you look at the timestamps located in this episode's detailed section of iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, YouTube, etc. Otherwise, you just keep on listening. I have a number of things that I've been looking forward to telling you about. Would you, would you mind if, if I go first? Go first, by all means. Securo. Oh, here we go. Okay. It's, so what was the last thing I told you about? Because I've been talking to multiple people about just different progress reports and stuff on this game. You were getting pretty far. You were getting experience. And I was doing a lot of farming. I know that. Right. And um, you defeated two bosses. Okay. So, and again, I'm not sure which bosses those were that I was referring to, but I have defeated about three more bosses, I believe, since last time we spoke, including one... That was, it's called the, the, um, guardian ape. Mm. And it is an albino ape that is huge. Gorilla, maybe? Yes. It's, okay. it is, well, and it's larger than a gorilla. I mean, it's, it's, like, it's the, like the size of the orangutan from the jungle book. Uh, I mean, this thing is like, it's like 15 feet tall, mm. 15, 20 feet tall. I mean, this thing is massive. Anyway, it was quite the battle. Super crazy. I have just got to share with you, Steve. Hmm. This game is seriously one very special game for a variety of different reasons. But one of them has to do... Well, there's a lot of them. The first thing I want to talk about is the combat itself is so finely tuned it's really sharp in the sense that you have to unlearn what you have learned with your typical gaming experiences. Like we all as gamers have muscle memory with how we attack something, right? This is one of those games. And this is, this is actually um, kind of a consistency through a lot of Ninja Shinobi oriented games. They force you to learn their combat mechanics, which is intentionally very different from what you are used to. And as long as you are willing to embrace the other way of how they're doing things, you will become handsomely rewarded in terms of the gaming experience overall. If you don't, then you're going to be like absolutely frustrated beyond measure. And I think that's one of the biggest highlights about this game is when you're, when you're in the middle of battle, I mean, every battle feels like life or death. And you saw a little bit of that when I first started playing this game and I didn't know what I was doing. I was trying to learn the ropes and just with those average little minions that are running around, I mean, each one of those battles, I'm like, my goodness, I'm like, that's like a fight for my life here. Since that time, I've obviously improved <laughs> since then. A smurf comes to attack you. Oh my gosh. Yeah. 
but I, I think what's super cool about um, where I'm at today is I have really improved on my combat. I would love at some point to be able to show you where I'm at in the game because I mean I, I've unlocked tons of different areas that I can revisit. I can travel back and forth through all these different places. Art direction, of course, is great, but I don't want to get too far off on this. The the combat itself, like when you're into it, what's interesting is that they don't want you to just like charge in and just start swing, swinging your sword and attacking mindlessly. Yeah, no, they what they want to do is is they want you to focus on posture. Hmm. Standing up straight. Exactly. Good posture. But the idea is, is that you want to ruin your opponent's posture. And there's a variety of ways that that, that can happen. Essentially, it's it's more of a timing thing. But it was, I think, mind-opening, if you will, in the sense that the game, you can tell the game designers were attempting to actually, I, I want to say bait you as a gamer, they're, they're trying to bait you into going back to your muscle memory with your hands as to how like you would attack a character, how you attack a situation. And if you do that, then you get punished severely in the game. I mean, you, you take a ton of damage to yourself and everything else. It's really neat how they do this. And you have to like consciously always remind yourself that's not how you're supposed to do it. I see what you're doing there and I'm not going to fall for it. I'm going to continue to be patient. I'm going to continue to, to just focus on trying to ruin the other one's posture because that's how you, that's how you win battles. Essentially. There's sometimes when you can just go in through brute strength and win, but this is so based on technique and uh, it's just exhilarating every single time. I mean, the, I remember when I, when I beat that Guardian Ape, my hands were trembling because it was so intense. Um, and it's, a, it's the kind of game, like just like Ninja Gaiden, where like, I get super furious at times with the game, but I cannot stop playing or thinking about the game. I'm obsessed over it. When I'm not playing it, I'm constantly thinking about it. And it's a, it's a kind of game that draws me in. It draws me back every time. Like when I sit down and I look at my Xbox library and I think, what game do I want to play? I always go back to that game. I'm like, man, like and it's cool to be able to have a game like that. And I think the last one to do that was probably Red Dead Redemption 2 when I was going through the story mode. It just I'm sure it was the same for you where like that game just would call out to you every single time. You're like, I'm, I know what I'm going to play tonight right? and tomorrow night and the night after that, you know? So anyway, I could go on and on and on about Sekiro, but, but basically there's just so much to love about that game. The art direction, the, the voiceovers, tons and tons of stuff. It's definitely one of my favorite games of the year. And I'm, and I just discovered I'm only halfway through the game. I thought I was kind of getting close to the end. <laughs> I looked at, at um, a list that IGN provided of all the different names of the bosses. I'm like, Whoa, yeah, this is awesome. It was, it was a nice surprise, honestly. Cause it's like, Oh, there's more world for me to explore. <laughs> That's good. So anyway, I'm playing that. Um, I also saw, I don't know if you, have you seen the game preview to a, um, a title called Chernobyl? Yes, I have. Okay. I just saw that. It kind of reminded me of, um, what was it, Metro Exodus? Yeah, it does. And I haven't played that game, but the, it kind of has kind of a similar look to it. It looks like it has potential. I mean, have you seen a lot on it or not? I remember watching the trailer, and I, I didn't look into it. Um, and it did look like Metro. But then I started reading all of these reviews on Metro, and everybody was saying that the... <laughs> 
like the acting was really terrible and there were a couple good sequences in the game and so then I thought twice about picking it up. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, I still might might get it. But yeah, I, I remember linking the two when I watched the trailer. I'm thinking, you know, I'm going to have to look at it a bit more as more information comes out. I do think I might just pick up Metro Exodus because it, I've heard good things about it and I think it'd be fun for me to play. And you played the first one, right? I did not. Oh, you did not. I thought you said you did. I did not. Oh, well. Do you have interest in playing? Yeah, I would say so. It has kind of a a Doom Half-Life kind of look to it. So it it looks like a different first-person shooter, and I'm I'm into it. Okay. Well, good. Of course, today marks the big release of Gears 5. And, of course, when you came over to Mikasa, I was just wrapping up my initial playthrough and um, I mean, I'm at the very, very, very beginning, literally got through the, the tutorial and then started on like the, the main campaign itself. Gears five or fifth gear, Russ. Oh mm. my goodness. They should do that. Okay. They should use that for gear six. Cause you know, it's one thing to be in, in the fifth gear. It's totally different when you're in sixth. Yeah. But sixth gear, you're just cruising, you know? Oh, I thought that was like the, uh, the, the highest gear you could go. Well, it is the highest gear you can go, but the car's not going fast at that gear. Oh, okay. Yeah, no. Yeah, okay. RPMs are pretty low at six gear, but... I have a few thoughts so far, even though I've barely started playing this game. First of all, the tutorial, I thought, should have been skippable. But I'm glad that they do they do have it there in order to just, you know, refresh your memory. If you haven't played the game in a while, fine. You can go through. And I found myself being grateful that they put it in. Although, like I said, I do wish that you could have either skipped certain segments within the tutorial or just skip the tutorial entirely. Probably should have added both of those options in there. The second thing is, is that I really do like the UI. The UI design in the main menus of Gears 5 is really clean, really easy to navigate. I just, I love the layout. And what's really cool, I'll have to show this to you a bit later, the menu button on the Xbox controller is actually leveraged on the the title screen. So if you press it, there's a tray that comes up from the, the bottom and part of the screen and kind of zooms in a bit. And you actually have additional options, almost like, if you're watching like a Blu-ray or 4K mm, DVD right. and like that thing comes up and stuff, only this is done way smoother. You know, a lot of the times the DVDs are kind of the frame rates choppy and it doesn't quite have that that polish. This one does, and so I, I was I was like, oh, that's that's a novel approach to that. That's cool. I dig that. The third final thing, Steve, is that the graphics are really impressive. I'm it's so funny. Like every time I see a gears game, of course the graphics fidelity improves and this is no slouch. I mean, I look at it in the level of detail of what I've seen so far. I'm just really impressed by what they're able to push. It makes me wish I had a 4k TV because I think it would look even sharper than it already does. Well then do their muscles look bigger? Scars more defined. You know, they actually went away a bit from, I think, what was the last Gears game that you played? Facial Stubble. You played like more what, defined. Gears 2 or 3? Uh, I know you played the first one. I think I played, okay. So the last Gears that I played, not watched, was the one that you had bought the collector's box with some random 
stuff in it. Oh, did it come with a Marcus Phoenix statue? Oh, um, because I have that. Ah, uh, <laughs> yeah, I think I brought it with me when I when I flew out here. I uh, I think it is Russ. It okay. was it was for the three sixty. So yeah, it was probably you may have seen Gears three, maybe. Okay. I uh, I mean it was either two or three, but. Actually, the art direction has changed a bit, not entirely away, but all, all of the newer characters are not the roided out, uh, crazy buff WWF characters that you saw from the, the original trilogy. They actually have other characters that are more slender. Emo? Uh, not necessarily emo, but just they look more normal, which is kind of... <laughs> emo gears. It's just, it's just kind of funny because... On the one hand, I love the roided out look. It's just, it's just gears, you know, like, like I don't, it, it, to me, gears of war is a kind of game where it's more of an indulgence. You know, you're not looking for something that's like super realistic or anything. You're, you're just looking for kind of an over the top experience. So with these newer characters, they look really interesting and cool and stuff, but they lack that over the topness. Like they, it's kind of a, I don't know the art direction itself. There is kind of a clash. If you look at it, where like all of the original characters are like, you know, the, like you said, lots of scars, lots of like face stubble, lots of huge bulging muscles. And then it's they're They're, they're coupled with like these newer characters who are younger and they're just like, well, I mean, they're, they're athletic. They're, you know, they, <laughs> they have a good build, but they're a bit more realistic in nature. <laughs> so, You'll just have to check it out there, Steve. <laughs> and I don't think you, yeah, I don't think you played Gears 4 at all. I think you probably were hanging out with me briefly when I first got Gears 4. So, right. That reminds me, one last thing about Gears. I really appreciated how before the game started, they actually had kind of a previously on Gears moment. It was like a montage that like showcased what the narrative was about in Gears 4, which I liked because I kind of forgot all the details. And they did it in about two minutes. I was like, huh, all right, that's cool. Okay, now I remember all the different creatures and enemies, and I remember what happened with the characters. And so there is definitely a more conscious effort placed on narrative with Gears 5. You could tell that they were starting to do it in Gears 4, but definitely in Gears 5, I think that there is a much more heavy emphasis on just where these characters are going, what the character development is, seeing more plot points. And I hope that there is more to it with regards to, um, the bad guys as well, just because there's really not a whole lot there and it would be a shame if it was just, okay, here are some more nasty baddies that you have <laughs> to take out. And we have no idea what their purpose is or why they're here or you know, anything else like that. So let me think, Oh, switching gears. Huh? you like, you see what I did there? I see huh? what you did. I went to the comic book store, Steve. Did you? Spawn number 300 has come out. And Todd McFarlane created 17 covers. <laughs> all different for the occasion. Peter, I tell you, Steve, I got all 17 covers. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Oh my goodness. What well, was a lot of fun. So first of all, Todd McFarlane has been old Toddy. Yeah. He has been 
super aggressive in building awareness about how Spawn number 300 is going to be hitting newsstands soon kind of thing over this past month. All kinds of teasers and and different types of uh, behind-the-scenes drops that he's been placing on social media. In addition to him drawing, he also got Greg Capullo, who's really talented. I, I, I don't know too much about his previous works, but from what I have seen, uh, the man is very talented. He also got J. Scott Campbell. You may recognize that name from back in the 90s. He's really blown up over the last uh, 10 to 20 years. And so he got him to do some some work on there as well. And um, I think even Snyder is involved somehow, somewhere. So if you have any interest, Steve, after the show... I can show you some of the, the cover artwork if you're interested. I know you haven't really been into the comic book scene in a while. Yeah, but out of it. But uh, there is that to consider. And, of course, around things out, of course, we played some Sea of Thieves. We did. Relaxing. We're not, we Actually, we had a little bit of action. We had a little bit of... Uh, yeah, we did. Somebody snuck on our ship. We thought we were going to obliterate them, and he obliterated us. Well, okay, so he uh, he obliterated the crew temporarily. Right, yeah. We okay, obliterated okay. his ship. Uh, yeah, so, and then he got eaten by a shark. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I think that was his buddy. Or maybe it was him. I don't know. It, no, I, actually, you're right. It was probably him because his buddy was still, uh, yeah, he, he was still piloting the ship around, so. Yeah, I think he couldn't bail out all the water because there's so many holes in the <laughs> ship and then he sinking. Oh, wow. man, that was... That was pretty gratifying. It was. It, you know, when we play that game, we are so set on getting loot, and we sometimes forget about the action and actually taking somebody down, but that's pretty intense. Yeah. No, it, the the encounters are always intense in that game, which I love. I love how long we've played it, how many times we've played it. Every time something like that happens, my, my I, can, I can tell my heartbeat starts to race yeah. a bit. Took down a megalodon. Well, that was cool. Mm-hmm. We uh, got we lots out- of shark meat out of that one. Yeah, we did. We uh, let's see what else did we do? We we outfitted the ship with the did we was it the Spartan look? No, that was uh, something it, else. it was some kind. Well, okay, so the front had like a unicorn on it. Right, that's right. But I don't know what the name of that particular setup is. Well, I put the Spartan flag up top. Oh, you did. I did. <laughs> Man, actually, remember we were talking about that on the show and you were saying how, oh, you know, during this time you can play the game and just do whatever you want to do and you'll end up getting the Spartan stuff for free. I went back that weekend, which was not this weekend, but last weekend. Right. And I was playing and doing random stuff and I would check in with the, the, the chick Mm-hmm. Who's got all the all the vanity stuff? Yeah, yeah. And nothing was appearing, so I thought, okay, maybe it's just today. I've been playing for a good thirty minutes. Nothing's happening. I went back the next day, played a little bit more. Nothing. You're kidding? No, I'm not kidding. And so this last weekend, I thought, man, you know, it's Sunday, I'm just gonna play a little bit of Sea of Thieves and see what's going on. Just check the inventory, and there it is. Oh, good. So you you got the whole Spartan package. Yeah. That's good, Steve. If there was ever a handsome package, it would be one from a Spartan. This is true. You know, so much loot laying around that uh, that map. 
It's almost not even worth getting a quest anymore. Well, you know, I actually really like how they have started to be a bit more liberal with that. I mean, just because the, the world itself for so long has been, it, it's just felt empty. And I, I'm glad to see how the, they're they're continuing to just throw stuff in there. And, and that's kind of one of the big reasons why you play the game is to find treasures, to find loot. And, you know, honestly, I think even like the, the, the ships that were underwater, I don't even think that they were a part of the initial launch of the game. Were they, didn't they come later? Like as one of the, the first like DLC updates that they did the sunken ships. Yeah. The sunken ships. Uh, I think they were always still there. Were they always there? Yeah. Okay. I thought the barrels were always there in the water, but the sunken ships, well, maybe they, they had, I think think they're both there. You know, I think they should bring in Moby Dick. Oh, there's a ton of stuff they should bring in there. They should bring in Neptune or, you know, not Aquaman. I guess Poseidon. Neptune or Poseidon. Yeah, Poseidon's yeah. probably a bit more recognizable of a name. Same same guy. <laughs> same guy. Hey, every culture has their own <laughs> name for him, you know. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, absolutely Poseidon or like you said, Moby Dick or or um, like some sort of... They have like the, the, the ginormous squid with the tentacles coming out, but I would like to see a bit more from that. Right. Well, there's so much water and you're sailing all the time and, you know, the chance may be that you will run into a megalodon or the chance may be you might run into a crack and there's very few and far between. I so. feel too that they need to bring more um, NPC baddies into the mix instead of just having undead skeletons. Yeah. Like it'd be great to be able to go onto a island and there's some kind of like, you know, indigenous cannibal uh, tribe or something. So you're, you're desperately trying to grab what you need and get out. You know, think of Pirates of the Caribbean. Yeah with Jack Sparrow being the chief and everything else. I mean, that would be a, an awesome opportunity, right? Yeah, I think so. I mean, just little fun things like that. More randomization. It is a fun game though. It is. It's best played when you have four people playing together. I wonder if they're going to make an update for the next Xbox and increase the graphics and the, the physics for the water. Not like the water's bad, but if they did both. Yeah. That would look pretty darn sweet, Russ. It would. Well, and it's a first-party title, so perhaps they have something in the mix that will, I don't know, just upgrade it for those who have the next system. That'd be cool. I think it would. What else is going on with you, Steve? Making my way through 24. Man, I love that show, Russ. I love it. I'm glad you like it. I love that show. Um, It's a classic. So I am on disc five of season six. So what time did it start? I forgot. But now we're at midnight. Mm-hmm. So I guess I'm halfway through, maybe. Because I think it started at like 7 in the morning, maybe. Seven, maybe 6. <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, good old Jack. Jackety Jack. Finding himself in these 24-hour situations. Beating up bad guys. Taking care of business. Mm-hmm. Fighting the good fight. Amazing. Doing lots of shouting. Doing lots of shouting. Yes. <laughs> lots of torture. The bomb? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I wonder if acts like Jack Bauer shout. <laughs> yeah. If these actors have to wear hear not hearing aids, uh, earplugs. Because there are times when he's like trying to, to interrogate people mm-hmm. and he is yelling like less than a foot away from their ear like at the top of his lungs i'm like not to give you ear damage but just remember steve 
With every yell from Jack Bauer, there's a yeah from Tony. Actually, Tony ain't in season six. Really. Oh, I wasn't. I could not remember if he was in the season that you were watching or not. How, but you know what I'm talking about. Yes, I do. And but you know who is it? Who, who is in this one? Mm-hmm. Is the villain from Ghostbusters two? Right. And he's doing. He's great at with his little role. Yeah. Yeah. Man, yep. makes me think like, what other movies this guy been in? Why have I not seen this guy more? I mean, he uh, he's owning it. Yeah. Yep. And it's funny because uh, oh, I don't even know her name. I'm so bad at names. But uh, the lady who's like the Secretary of Defense. It's been a while since I've watched it. I don't remember everybody. I think she has the same role in House of Cards. <laughs> okay. Like exact same role. Some of those actors do kind of get typecast into similar or same roles as they bounce from gig to gig. Yeah, I mean, to, to me, it kind of works because right. you, in your mind, you think, oh, yeah, they're clearly that's a Secretary of Defense lady. It's like Tommy Lee Jones being the, the, the gruff cop the all the time. Yeah, the marshal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Moving right along into gaming news, the first item on the list here is Cyberpunk 2077. Apparently, multiplayer is now confirmed. What do you think of that there, Steve? See what they do with it. I don't know how what they're going to do. What's interesting is that they, of course, have the single-player story that everybody's going to play through. But to me, a world like Cyberpunk is just begging to have some kind of online multiplayer component. And if it's fully realized if it's not just kind of an afterthought that they tack on man that has tremendous potential to be super cool like it's i'm really 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 hoping that cyberpunk 2077 does what watchdog should have done and watchdogs of course was the ubisoft title that had to do with hacking and everything else and it i mean certain things it did okay but ultimately to me it was underwhelming I just hope that Cyberpunk 2077 delivers, and especially if it creates a world where all of a sudden you're walking around and you're seeing other folks, and who knows if you can create factions or what kind of abilities you can have to mess with other people. I mean, the, it could be a fantastic creative sandbox. Might be the next Grand Theft Auto. It, that's what I'm hoping for. I think that there's, I mean, just everything I see about this game, I think it's just, it's just going to be pure gold. Another little tidbit from Cyberpunk 2077 is that all of the cutscenes will be in first-person perspective. That is pretty crazy, because, like, first of all, we've seen cutscenes play at E3, and they're clearly not first-person. Well, that whole 45-minute clip, I mean, you see, I mean, parts of it are first-person, but other parts are third-person. Yeah, yeah, and, and that's what I was thinking going forward. Now, apparently, they they did say how there are certain moments, like if you're driving a car or you're on a motorcycle, that sort of thing, that it does switch to third person. So you will be able to see that. But this is specifically talking about cutscenes. So they want they were talking about how they wanted to keep it immersive, how like the whole like first person mode was like one of the the, the base pillars of their game, and they didn't want to remove the player from that. So. I go back and forth. You know, I think, well, that could be really cool. Or I could find myself wishing that there were a bit more of like the, the standard cutscenes that we're used to seeing in games. What do you think? Uh, 
I don't know, someone's gotta be missing with that because the footage that we've been seeing, it's not all first person. So are they just gonna scrap all that stuff? I guess unless there's some other way of being able to view it, but that, it, look, it looks cool how it is. It does. It very much does, but I don't know. Maybe they're they're playing with something and it works. I have no idea. Apparently, one of the things that uh, that they did mention is that uh, even the sexual encounters, right? Yes, will course. also be first person perspective. Okay, let's get it on. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh well, I think they took a note or two from The Witcher Three days. And the, <laughs> you know, those were a little kind of funky, awkward looking. Maybe we should try a different approach. Yeah, no, you're not animating him right. He's supposed to. Yeah, no. <laughs> Finally, uh, Ninja, of course, signs Adidas sponsorship deal. The ah. Adi yeah, how about them apples? Man. So, UFC, we don't want you anymore. We have Ninja. I'm telling you, the guy is just killing it out there. The Adidas website now features a page dedicated to the partnership. And so that means that not only has Ninja secured a, an exclusive deal with Microsoft to be on Mixer. He's also secured a partnership with Adidas, which is in addition to the Red Bull and anything else that I have no idea uh, or I'm unaware of that he's secured, but good for him. It's amazing. The, I think the guy's still in his 20s. Is he even wearing... I mean, is his shoes even visible while he's streaming? He's going to have to wear an Adidas shirt. I have no idea. It's insane. <laughs> Every once in a while, he's going to tip his chair back and like just bring his feet up. Yeah. Also, the camera. Hey, <laughs> hey, hey. Oh, oh, right, by the way, back down. Yeah. <laughs> I always game in my Adidas. <laughs> so we have a few things here regarding movie news. Uh, first of all, I was really excited to share with you some Joker movie early critic reviews. Have you seen any of this stuff? No, I haven't. Okay, so I have a list here for you that I think you're going to get a kick out of. It's a list of ratings that several movie critics have been able to put out, which I'm kind of surprised about just considering the fact that the film doesn't come out until early October. And here we are at the beginning of September. So anyway, without further ado, IGN gave it a 10 out of 10. Variety, 5 out of 5. Hollywood Reporter, 4.5 out of 5. Empire Magazine, 10 out of 10. Total Film Magazine, 10 out of 10. Nerdist, 4.5 out of 5. Collider, 9 out of 10. Forbes, 10 out of 10. LA Times, 4 out of 5. The Guardian, 5 out of 5. Daily Telegraph, 5 out of 5. And The Independent in the UK, 4 out of 5. That gives you anything to go on, Steve. I think we're in for a serious treat come October. Who who gave it the four out of five? Uh, one is uh, in the Independent. Uh, another one is the L.A. Times. Mm. Nerdist gave it a four point five out of five. Ah, yeah, okay. But yeah, it, you know, I would say at least half of those gave it perfect scores, absolute perfect scores. I don't know what the current meta rating, uh, the, you know, the Metacritic rating is offhand. But I think initially when it went live, it was hovering around like 86 or 87%, something like that. But anyway, super, super cool. Changing topics here, going back over to Disney Plus, apparently there is no rated R content that's slated for the platform. 
the Hollywood Reporter uh, just it didn't have too much to talk about with it, but they were kind of going through the list of, of the different shows and everything. And each one of them, I guess is rated G up to probably PG 13 esque. So I don't know if Deadpool is going to be making any appearances on Disney plus anytime soon, at least for launch. We'll have to see. See about that rush. I don't know. I don't trust Disney plus. Just kidding. I don't know. That'd be fine. <laughs> I got signed up, by the way. <laughs> oh, whatever. They, they had a, a special deal where they were able to um, provide a discount. First of all, it's going to be $6 or 6 or $7 a month. But signing up for it ahead of time, I was able to get it at like, I think $4, like 3 or $4 a month for the next two years. So, you know, a little savings there over time. Mm. Not too bad. Yeah. So the next section for movie news is the fact that Bad Boys for Life has a trailer that is now um, going through. Have you seen Bad Boys Part 1 and 2? I know. I think you've seen the first one, right? I've seen them both. With Will Smith and Martin yeah, Lawrence? Yeah. Okay, well, what are your thoughts on that, Steve? Will Smith has great taste in cars. He does. Yeah. And he's got nice muscles. <laughs> <laughs> Will Smith's always had nice muscles. Yeah, I have been waiting quite a while to see this. And so now that we finally have a trailer, I'm very much looking forward to getting a first glimpse at this. I have not seen this yet. Have you? I have not. Oh, good. Come on, man. You can get that buffed out. No, you can get that buffed out. Remember, knock and talk. Yeah, knock, knock. Mighty PD, get down! What the hell happened to knock and talk? Hands behind your head right now. I got this. I'm gonna penetrate this man's soul with my heart. What? Watch and learn. Sir, I realize that you're scared. You know, sometimes fear. <laughs> How deep you think you got in his soul? I'm done, Mike. I'm a bit tired. Uh-oh, here we go again. You want your legacy to be muscle shirts and body counts? Look at this mess. It's carnage. I didn't do all this. You didn't shoot anybody? Well, come on, Captain. You know I shot some people. Yeah. I'm sticking my neck out for you on a skinny limb, and I'm tithering at the edge of it. You mean teetering, Cap? That's what I said! All right. These streets, I never trusted anybody but me. I'm asking you, man. Bad boys. One last time. One last time. I'm the definition of half man, half drugs. Ask the clubs, bad boy, that's what's up. He driving through a mall. We're not just black, we're cops too. We'll pull ourselves over later. <laughs> it's official. I survived what I've been through. Y'all got drama to solve the Right about the glass. I've been telling your ass for a year. He can't be stopped now. Damn, Mike. These are like HD. This bad boy flies. We ain't gonna win. Cause this bad boy flies. Yeah, 
bad boy, it's bad boy. Hey, what's she gonna do? What's she gonna do when we come in? Hey, hey, uh-uh, no, no, never. Y'all will never do that again. Cause it's bad boy for life. What do you think? I think they could have done better with that trailer, honestly. I will say I partially agree. Um, I'm going to see it because I'm a huge Bad Boys fan. I think that it, it's a really fun bo- uh, body. Buddy <laughs> yeah, flick. I'm a just... body flick as well. Body, buddy. <laughs> it's amazing how two of those sound together. But anyway, of course, that was one of Michael Bay's earlier films that really, I think, put him on the map before he started doing all the Transformers films and everything else. And it was just a lot of fun. Obviously, the chemistry between Will Smith and Martin Lawrence have never been in question. It's always a pleasure watching those two men on screen, in my humble opinion. What's a used to you? I would agree with that, Russ, but back to the trailer. Back to the trailer at hand. I kind of wish they had the original Bad Boys song. I think they used the original Bad Boys song for the first film. Yes. And maybe even the second one. Yes. I think they were trying to to freshen it up a little bit this time. Mm. But yeah, it did kind of lose a bit of its personality, didn't it? It did. They're trying to go for a kind of more of that uh, action-packed, epic, cinematic feel. But the other Bad Boys, I mean, they were action comedies, but they were serious when they wanted to be serious. Of course. This just looks kind of... Not very serious. This looks like it's shooting and funny and... I don't know. I'd I'd like it to be funny when it wants to be funny and then show us some drama with with it, you know? Mm. You know what I'm saying? Well, maybe it was just the way that the the trailer was cut. Because like I said, I really do believe that this is going to be another fun romp through. Like I said, you have all the fixings in place. Like... I would I, I would be surprised. Let's, let's put it that way. If it were to not be fun. I thought that police chief captain guy retired. No. Maybe uh, it's been a while since I saw the second one. He's actually one of my favorite supporting characters ever in film because he just, he hams it up so well. He just plays that stressed out to the brink captain or whatever his uh his job title is at the the police station and he's just you could tell like like each one like i think one he had like a stress ball or something another one he was trying um yoga and just woo saw like trying to get himself to calm down and this one i think he was like popping in pepto-bismol or something it's just really funny to like have that kind of uh, supporting side character just it makes <laughs> it just makes that much more fun and there are other characters too at least in the previous two films that just, again, they're a lot of fun to watch them interact with. Like the the guy from the Quickie Mart, I don't know if you remember that whole scene where the, yeah, they're, yeah, they're arguing right. at the thing and he pulls out a gun on them and he's like, oh man, do you not see this emotional stress that's going on my face right here? Like that whole thing was just terrific. Anyway, technology news. We have one fun little story that I wanted to share. And that is that Lego is set to release its Star Wars Star Destroyer. This is for the collector's class. You can buy it starting on September 18th if you are a Lego VIP. Everyone else can get one on October 1st. How many pieces do you think this Star Destroyer has, Steve? 5,000. You're actually really close. Thank you. There are 4,784 pieces. Now, in terms of the dimensions, 
It's 17 inches high, 26 inches wide, and 43 inches long. That basically means that it's probably shy, in terms of the, the length, it's just under four feet long, Steve. That's probably about, well, not quite as long as this table that we're using for our audio gear, but uh, it's about three-fourths the way across, you know what I'm saying? Pretty cool. Back in my day, you would just buy a model made by Ravel and uh, put it together yourself. Well, there you go. But it's not Lego. It will retail. Okay, I'm not even going to say this voluntarily. Steve, how much do you think they're going to be selling this bad boy for? Probably, let's see, 5,000 pieces. $375. More. Well, 450 More. Oh, man, you got to be kidding me. Oh, my gosh. 500 bucks? More. Oh, jeez. <laughs> way too much. Come on, Steve. 800 bucks. Uh, a little too high. Ah, yeah, yeah. It's going to retail for $699. So if you've got a nice, cool 700 bucks to just, you know, spend on something frivolously, you can go get yourself a Lego Star Wars Star Destroyer. Lego VIP. I'm telling you, don't oh, put it past man. me, Steve. I may, if I'm feeling frisky, rich, a little richy, richy. I might go out and get that. And I can't think of anyone better to put it together with me than you. What do you think about that? Yeah, I don't know, Russ. Um, I think I might just want to take a, a, a nosedive into the, the big pool of pieces just to say <laughs> I did it. <laughs> Everybody find your favorite chair. It's time for the topic of the day. Our topic of the day involves us going on a little field trip of sorts last weekend. Steve, where do we go? Well, we went to see... Well, I don't know what the... I forgot what the building was called. I don't know. I actually forgot what the building was called, too. Oh. It was a beautiful building. Yeah, very beautiful. Very uh, inspiring. Architectural. Uh, yes. Yeah. A lot of, lots of glass. Lots of concrete. Lots of marble. Right. Lots of nice people, actually. I wouldn't mind living in a space like that. Very clean. Hmm. Actually, I think I forgot my program in your car. Oh, no. Yeah. I'm sure there's a very good chance it's still there. Probably. It's in the jungle of stuff that, uh, yeah. Right. I'm sure it's in there. <laughs> but we went to see the Empire Strikes Back played live, basically, with a live orchestra uh, who played flawlessly, I might add. Not a note or string misplucked. 
Russ. In- indeed. Uh, absolutely fantastic. We They are playing the movie for us on a rather large screen, but also rather small, I will say. Mm. And we got to sit amongst the very, very polite, proper, and um, friendly crowd that uh, that is a, the fan base of Star Wars. Right. And so everybody that was there was kind of like your buddy, but they didn't know you. You know? It's very true. It, it, it reminds me of when I go to a Comic-Con where you have people who are like, you know, I bet we have a whole lot in common, even though I don't know you. You're like my buddy that I haven't met yet. Right. But it's funny because if uh, you had to walk by people, everybody knew. I, You know, if you walk by someone in the, in the theater, like, you know, oh, excuse me, sorry, I don't want to step your toe. I just got to get to my seat. You know, people are like, ah, sort of thing. Here, like, oh, let me get up for you. And well, would you like me to hold the door? Oh, let me put your seat down. Oh, yeah, where'd you get that? How are you doing? Sort of need thing. a back like, rub? Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm like, ooh, really? I don't know if I, oh, yeah, I do like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Thank That's you. not bad. <laughs> so, but, uh, yeah, I know everyone was, was, uh, was wonderful. This was the first time that you have experienced this type of setup, right? Where right. Be- now, have you been to any kind of symphony orchestra ever, like when it comes to like classical music yes. or anything like that? Yes, Russ. Okay. I couldn't remember if you had. Definitely have. I go see uh, Frederick Handel's Messiah almost every single year. Okay. So that is a little bit different. Well, well maybe. It's 100% it's, orchestra. It's it's in the the same vein. I'll give you that. Thank you. Uh, but in terms of, um, like just when you, like that tends to be kind of a smaller ensemble as opposed to some of the other ones. in your smaller towns, yes. And the one in Dallas is, uh, is rather large. Same in San Francisco. That's true. (laughs) That is very true. (laughs) This has been, um, I believe my third, is either my third or my fourth experience where they have the the nice big movie screen where you watch the film and listen to the orchestra play the music live. Because I think I saw Indiana Jones, Raiders of the Lost Ark. I saw Lord of the Rings, Two Towers. Oh, that was good. We saw this one, and I want to say there was another one, and it's just not... Indiana Jones? Well, no, I said Indiana Jones, Raiders of the Lost Ark, oh. one of them. Um, there, but there was another one, and it is... Um, avoiding me. It's escaping me uh, for the moment. However, I've always personally been a fan of that type of setup because um, being a huge soundtrack fan, I love listening to the music of movies. And especially when you have the opportunity to be able to listen to it live, I have um, a massive appreciation for the sound art that these people are able to produce. And especially when you watch a movie like Empire Strikes Back, did you did you notice like how much more the music added to each scene oh, knowing yeah. that it was being performed live? I definitely did. I mean, and they wanted you to to really appreciate the music. I kind of wanted just to watch the movie again but still appreciate the music. But then they turned down the sound effects so much. It was the voice high, music high, sound effects low. Right. And so yeah, when there was no um, music that was being played, and you were just watching the movie with the low sound effects and regular voice, you know, recording volumes, then yeah, it did 
feel like there was something substantial missing. Yeah. And the music came back on. You're like, oh, yeah, that's good. <laughs> that's very true. Yeah, they intentionally mixed it um, in such a way where obviously the, the music is no longer a part of the film that gets played live. And then the, the voices and the sound effects are, are tuned in such a way where it just it allows the music to kind of have the spotlight. <clears throat> I would say the only downside that I had experiencing it was just that the seats were so compact. I mean, we, we were really packed in like sardines against each other and there was no leg room. But other than that, I thought the, like we said, the building was gorgeous (laughs) and, um, just being able to watch that. First of all, I had a lot of fun being able to watch that movie with you again, because it's been years since we've watched that film together. Did you, did it bring back, (laughs) <laughs> was that your food saying hello? Is it getting excited? Um, in terms of the film itself, what kind of thoughts went through your mind? Well, I specifically don't watch these films a lot because I want them to feel fresh when I watch them again. I don't want to get, I mean, some folks watch them all the time, all the time, like once a month. I just don't want to do that because it starts to lose its magic a little bit and I I would rather wait a year or maybe two years before I see it again. And so it had been more than two years since I had seen it. It's probably been about four years. Yes, because I remember my fiance was out to see me in California and I made sure <laughs> she saw all the films <laughs> before I moved. Good man. I, I don't know why it had to be before I moved, but I, it had to be. And so I made her sit through them all before I left. So I, that was about four years ago. And so it's been a while, but man, that movie, it, it, it's, you see science fiction, at least today, really kind of, it doesn't take itself too seriously. It seems like, oh yeah, it's science fiction, like whatever, you know, this will never happen. And I I, I don't like that. I, I would rather let your imagination go wild and think that this could happen on a galaxy far, far away. I haven't even heard it before. It's a long ways away. And you know what? It's fine to be imaginative and let the story happen as it may, instead of playing with it too much, you know, and, and losing its seriousness, but the seriousness is there and the drama was there. And I actually know I liked how they had the subtitles. I don't watch it with subtitles, of course, cause I understand all the language, but some of the words I'd have missed. And I always thought, well, you know, it's not that important. I'll watch it again. I'll pick it up. And then usually, and sometimes I haven't like with Yoda, for example. And so I was watching, uh, you know, Luke's, Luke and Yoda converse back and forth and I was really paying attention to him and, you know, I've, I've aged a little bit. I'm at a different point in my life and I'm a lot more ambitious and that whole dialogue, I've watched it a hundred times, but that little sequence when, when Yoda is training Luke and he's trying to give him guidance the way Yoda does and Yoda has this silly voice, but it all makes sense. And once you can get kind of get past it, yeah, it it absolutely works. And I had goosebumps down to my knees. I did too. I'm glad that you brought that up because we've, especially me, like I have watched that film countless times. It's in probably my top three movies of all time, maybe even top two. I mean, it, it is really, really, really high on my list. It is just an iconic example of quality pop culture. And I just, I love 
everything about that film. That film was just so flawlessly executed. There was so much story to it to en- engross yourself into. And really, when it comes to the music, I think that that is probably some of John Williams' strongest efforts when it comes to films. And he's done a lot of movies. And I, I mean, I celebrate his entire catalog. That man is a living legend when it comes to producing original soundtracks. I love the different themes that he was exploring. I mean, he, he introduced Yoda's theme. He had Leia's theme. He had Han and Leia. You know, he had the Imperial March. He had the, the asteroid scene. Um, there were just so many. Cloud City had its own theme. There were so many different things that he, that he was playing with, and, they, and none of it was throwaway. Like, everything you listen to... Even even the force, like when Yoda was using the force to, to levitate Luke's X-Wing out of the swamp. I am just absolutely floored. Every time I listen to it, completely blown away by all the complexities of how the instruments are being complementary of each other. And there's some interweaving that go, happens here and there. And there's almost like some counter melodies that are happening too. And... There's, there, there's a lot to gnaw on. I, you know, if, if I could relate his music to food, I would say, man, it, that is a very, very hearty meal that has a lot of different flavors to it as you're taking each bite. Super, super cool. And what's nice, too, is that when you hear it live, I don't know about you, Steve, but I tend to pick up other sounds that may not have been as prevalent on like a CD or, you know, if I'm listening on my iPhone or whatever else. Yeah, I, I don't. I couldn't say I picked up any more. I mean, maybe a little bit, but I was so engrossed with the entire experience that, and the music was was such in my face that I was just happy to to be there and to hear the music played live. And you know, I, I can't say I could I could pick out specific notes and and music and instruments that I couldn't. A little bit, yes. A little bit, yes. I remember hearing a, a little clash here and there or maybe a, a tone um, that wasn't played off key. It wasn't that, but it was the definition of the music stood out a little bit more. But um, but yeah, ultimately, <laughs> I'm sitting there and, I, and I, I, I'm actually, I still like classical music. Sure. Personally, I yeah. listen to classical music every single morning when I go to work because I like it quiet. Mm-hmm. I'm not a morning person. One of the, my favorite scenes as it applies to the, the music was when Luke was facing off against Darth Vader and the scene in particular where Darth Vader starts using the force against Luke and Luke is so ill-equipped to handle it. If you notice, the strings started to do this kind of stirring sound that really matched the visuals nicely where, you, where it almost felt like it was... The, it was almost like what the force would sound like if a Sith Lord was manipulating it. I thought things like that. I'm like, Ooh, <laughs> very, very nice. Do you think that you will be interested in attending a future uh, setup like that? Yeah, I think, you know, depending on the movie, I would definitely be interested. Lord of the Rings for sure. And actually, they, it's funny. They play the Lord of the Rings theme music on the classical station and i'm like yes and i crank it up listening to like the the hobbit song and whatever uh so yeah i mean depending on on what it is maybe indiana jones probably not um but 
possibly Batman. That would be super cool. Yeah. You know what? Actually, um, it would be really cool for you to just let me know which movies you would be interested in. I figured Empire Strikes Back was a no-brainer because it's freaking Empire Strikes Back. But if you have a short list of different films, I'll keep an eye out. And at least I'll make you aware of, hey, these, this is coming up. Do you have any interest in checking it out? Yes or no? And you you saw, you didn't see the Gladiator version of that. You saw the Gladiator music. like You saw a Hans Zimmer concert, but it wasn't like a, the Gladiator movie being played as the soundtrack was live. Correct. Right. Yeah. The, the Hans Zimmer um, concert, man, that was fantastic. But the Gladiator is another one. It is. That would be really, really cool to be able to see that. I, I merely saw just a, a taste of it, <laughs> but I would totally be down to be able to see that perform live while you're watching it. I think that'd be really cool. That movie is, I haven't seen that in a while either. That's a, that's a great movie. That would really sculpt doing what he does best. You know, you can't buy just any copy of that movie, Rose, to watch it. There's a error. In the beginning of the movie, it depends on which version you get, but it's definitely there. And and some of the Blu-rays, I think it's okay with the DVD, but some of the Blu-rays, you have to <laughs> look for a certain version because the arrows that when they were fighting mm-hmm. in, in, the, in the very beginning of the movie, there are some of them that are computer generated and some of the arrows that are actually real. And certain versions of the movie, they take out the computer images of the arrows. And so it, it's not a pl- storm of arrows. It's literally just one and two really? and every once in a while. Yeah. So <laughs> you have to be careful on which version you get. I'll have to, man, I didn't know that. I'll have to look at that. Did you have any concluding thoughts about the experience? You know, I'm glad people still take up classical instruments. Like, oh, definitely. You know, and keep on playing. I was I was flipping through the program and, and they were, of course, asking for, you know, if anybody wants to become a partner and, and donate to places like this so that they can keep on uh, encouraging folks to learn and play and be a part of stuff like this. And I thought, man, if I had the money, I would I would definitely do that. I, I, I love, I, and I appreciate folks keeping the, the classical music going and plus with the fandom of a movie like this, you know, I mean, it's, it's wonderful. It's the arts, you know, it's, it's important to support the arts. I I'm right there with you. I think it's, it's great when people have the financial means to be able to do so. I forgot to mention, we did some research after we got back home and the architect of that symphony hall building apparently he passed away earlier this year. I can't right. remember the name, unfortunately, but he was also one of the many things he built was um, that I don't know what they call it, but when you go to France and you and you're at the Louvre and you see that that cool looking glass triangle looking structure that's that's in front of the Louvre, it's like the kind of the exterior area. He built that. That was part oh of my him. Goodness. So he's internationally known. I mean, he he has buildings all over the United States as well as many 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 other countries. Super talented guy. So. I would say for myself, um, I love going to these types of experiences. One of the big reasons why is just it allows opportunities for orchestras to be able to moonlight as a Hollywood symphony that 
record soundtracks for movies. I think it's really neat to put them through the paces like this because while classical music definitely has its place and it's wonderful to listen to, it's very neat to see how an orchestra can be arranged and structured in this manner to be able to show off music from celebrated pop culture movies. And I think it helps to also build awareness of symphonies because I think oftentimes they kind of almost get stigmatized in a way as like, Oh, you know, only a certain kind of (laughs) rich English people listen to it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, And there's so much there to really appreciate. And I think that this is a great opportunity for other folks to be able to come in like, you know, for instance, we had never been to that that building before. Just the building alone, we're like, "Wow, this is this is gorgeous. This is really cool to see this." And of course, experiencing the music well, was a was a real treat, and just being able to see more of that. I hope that they have a more aggressive schedule that is mindful of showing more films. Obviously we found out that they're going to be doing nightmare before Christmas, as well as the Harry Potter um, soundtrack as well. And of course, Harry Potter is another one of John Williams's masterpieces. And I, for one, I, well, I'll just see if I can convince the wife, but I think I would like to go to the Harry Potter one. <laughs> we'll have to change the seats. Yes. We're definitely going to try and splurge for the box seats because th- there was certainly more leg room and we're big people, Steve. We not so much are five <laughs> foot two. That wraps up this episode of Joygasm. Make sure you tune in next week. Thanks for hanging out with us. If you enjoyed this episode, we invite you to check out patreon.com slash joygasm and consider becoming a monthly contributor. You'll get exclusive perks and early access to the show, not to mention it really helps us continue doing what we love to do. Also, you can follow us on social media and YouTube. Just do a search for Joygasm TV. Last but certainly not least, search Joygasm TV on Twitch to see us stream our gaming adventures live every Wednesday night at 9.30 p.m. Central Time. We'll see you next week.